Hello and welcome to Pursue the Talks, brought to you by Pursue, a bespoke leadership coaching and development company with a mission to create, nurture and develop inspiring leadership across the global education sector. My name is Nicholas Mackay, Associate Professor, Certified Professional Coach and Director of Pursue, and I'll be your host in this fourth series of conversations, exploring high performance in education. We'll bring you cutting-edge stories from across the global education sector, delving into the minds of recognised education and industry experts to find out about the challenges and main issues they are facing and to gain insights into what is meant by high performance. In today's conversation, I'm delighted to welcome Brian Cooklin. Brian is an international educational leader who has led schools and delivered highly effective and influential educational projects in three continents over 23 years. As Managing Director for Nord Angular India, Brian will lead the group's strategic development and support the leadership teams of five Oak Ridge International Schools based across India. The schools are part of the Nord Angular Group of Schools, the world's leading premium group of international schools with 69 schools in 29 countries. Prior to joining Oak Ridge, Brian was principal of Nord Angular International School Hong Kong. As the founding principal of this multi-campus K-12 school running the Cambridge and International Baccalaureate curriculums, Brian led the school to a number of achievements, including outstanding examination results, the highest possible ratings from the independent schools inspectorate and rapid expansion. He was responsible for it developing in a few short years into one of the most highly regarded schools in the Nord Angular Group. Brian, thank you very much for joining me all the way from Hong Kong. Thank you, Nicholas. Good to see you. You too. Fantastic. And um, let's let's delve straight into this, Brian, because lots to unpick today. But this um, podcast is framed around high performance. So what's your definition of high performance in education? Well, quite simply, I think high performance is about realising a child's potential. Um, It's that phrase of being the best you can be, but it needs to apply to every child. It isn't a question of it being elitist or separate. And I think it's very well led by people like Professor Deborah Ayer and her high performance learning initiative. So it's very much in keeping with that because it's not just about academic success. It's about the values, the attributes, uh, the attitudes that uh, children develop through their education. So for me, it's about that holistic approach to a child's education, which I think is critical. And it's that capacity to ensure that every single child, no matter what level they start out at, get to the highest possible level they can. So I suppose here's the million dollar question, Brian, is how do you ensure, you know, being a former uh, international school principal yourself and now looking over a range of schools, how do you ensure that that happens? Well, the focus has to be on a child as an individual. You know, whether you call it personalised learning or any other title, it doesn't matter. I've always expected teachers uh, on staff to know every child in the class as a person. Because it's only when you know them as individuals, you can get the best out of them. Uh, and I'm not a believer in setting or streaming by ability, because I see that always as a major constriction and restriction in terms of people's development. So I, I like to see just how far you can go with the child when you say the sky's the limit. So when you give them the, the capacity, you know, if you see a simple task of 
saying to the class, right, there are three levels of task here. This is difficult, more difficult, most difficult. You choose, decide what you want to go for. When I'm watching that in the class and I see a child that I know is going to have difficulties and I see them trying the hardest and achieving success with the most difficult task, that's when you know you've cracked it. That's when you know that you've got the right approach that's actually meaning something for that child. Because if you don't put labels on them and you don't hold them back, you can see the full potential of what they're able to achieve. So in terms of, say, your role, Brian, as a school leader, how do you foster a culture that allows teachers to be able to, to have that impact, uh, that individual impact, that personalized approach in, in classes? Well, because for me, the approach you have with children is the same approach you have for staff. So it's about encouraging talent. It's about encouraging staff to develop their own skills. The training and professional development of staff is absolutely critical. So you need to give people opportunities to grow and you need to give them that capacity to try different things. You know, I find it quite illuminating when I'm interviewing to recruit new staff, particularly coming, say, from Britain to an international school, And I'll often say to them, is there something you wanted to try and experiment with and couldn't or haven't been able to? And they say, yes. I said, well, come here and just try it. But what if it doesn't work? Don't worry. It doesn't matter. It's not life-threatening. But it could well work and it could make a difference for a child in your class. And I was speaking at one conference and a speaker after me, and I quote this in every opportunity I can. She made the point, remember the word fail stands for first attempt in learning. And I really like that idea because it's something I feel we need to say to staff, we need to say to children. But when you give staff that scope, that autonomy, that space to do something, and when you take every opportunity to build the confidence of staff and children in the school, you get the results. So, for example, I'm a great believer in display. There's not a corner of the wall in the school that I founded or previous schools that didn't have children's work on display or for that matter, staff success, doesn't matter. Cover the place with it, because for you to see on display or to have it celebrated at an assembly or a staff meeting, it gives you a boost to your confidence. And for a lot of children, it's the boost of confidence that is the most important factor. So the capacity to give them that boost, and that's another reason why I encourage things like art, music, drama, PE, sports, Because I think from an early age, those subjects do something special to open doors for children and to show them the possibilities. Because I always have said to parents, I don't know what your child's going to be good at, but I can guarantee it'll be one thing at least. So we need to find out what it is. But that's why extracurricular activities, having a full range of them, not just the usual arts, music, sport, etc., but also robotics, Lego, knitting, mindful colouring, whatever that is. I don't care. If a teacher's enthusiastic, it's infectious. A child's enthusiastic, and as a result, they buy into it and they try harder. So these are all the ingredients for me that add up to giving each individual, whether it's a member of staff or a child, the best of opportunities. So I suppose in terms of, again, um, focusing on leadership, Brian, when you have people who have license, a bit of freedom to, to try things out and be creative, 
what, what are your non-negotiables then in terms of the way that you lead schools, whether it's a schools group currently or, or previously, you know, in, in Hong Kong, for example? Well, the non-negotiables are, obviously, you're expecting compliance with all the central policies. Uh, so you're not giving license, you're not giving carte blanche. You are saying to people, here's the structure, here's the framework. Uh, and in Nord Angle education, there's the philosophy, be ambitious, which I can talk about, which fits with all of this later. But in terms of how you lead the school and run the school, there is, of course, a quality assurance mechanism. So you're dropping in for lessons, whether they're online just now or blended learning or whether they're face-to-face, you're dropping in, line managers are dropping in, and most important, colleagues are dropping in. Because for me, the best way to improve teaching and learning is by sharing what you do with the teacher next door and the ones down the corridor and the ones in different parts of the school. You know, I've always felt that we don't share enough. So, for example, the secondary teachers don't visit primary classes or nursery classes and vice versa enough. Because if you really want to know how to run group discussion as a secondary teacher, you should find out in a primary class because the primary teacher is far better at setting up the rules of that than anyone else. If you want to know about multitasking and coping with that wide range of behaviours, just go in to a nursery class and see what you as a secondary teacher might regard as bedlam, but as actually organised chaos. You know, and I think, <laughs> yeah. I think the big benefit is to learn from that. So as a leader, the, the givens, the things that you definitely need to have is you have to cover the curriculum. How you do it, I don't care. It's not, I don't want it to be prescriptive that everybody must be in worksheet 29 by next Tuesday on the Stone Age. That's useless. But there have to be milestones that you meet. There have to be checks on progress. So we have, you know, a termly progress review on every child's progress involving the teacher, the head of year, the head of department, and the standard practices that go on book scrutinies, a variety of things, learning walks, and of course, asking the children themselves. You know, you get the best views there. Yeah. When we're inspected, best quotation ever and the best compliment, the chief inspector decided to talk to a group of children who had learning difficulties because there was a non-selective school. And I asked this girl, well, what do you enjoy most about school? And her reply was, well, what I love about this school is I make the same progress as everyone else. And I think for a 10-year-old girl with difficulties, to put that into words was quite outstanding. So for me, that's the best compliment you can get. And, and how have you found, Brian, transitioning, I suppose, from leading one school to now with your role with leading a group of schools in, in India, for example? Does that change or in what way does that change your leadership approach? Well, it's a strange experience for me because it's the first time in my career that I'm away from the classroom. Right. Uh, even up until recently, I've taught as a principal or a head teacher. Okay. Um, because I love teaching. You know, I came into the job to be a teacher. I didn't think of anything else. I didn't have any aspiration to be a head teacher, a principal, let alone a managing director. So the focus that's different is very much the focus on the business aspect of it. So I have to be the director, literally. So I've got to be able to direct funds where they're needed. I've got to be able to balance the books. 
I've got to be able to provide the training. I've got to be able to oversee what this group of schools is doing and expand them. And I've also got to make sure they're doing it within the Nord Angler education family. So maintaining the standards, um, actually the processes, procedures, the policies, that everything's in place because this is a different culture. And we operate in 29 different countries, but within those countries, you have different states, provinces, cities with different regulations. You'll know that having worked internationally yourself, you might have it, this particular procedure here. The city next door is not doing that. doesn't matter. You've got to make sure you comply. So there are a lot of legal, HR, IT, finance, premises, facilities, responsibilities. So there's a whole regional office to manage as well as those processes. But for me, the question is bringing the passion that I have for education and ensuring that that's imbued with a sense of what Nord Angla Education stands for to transmit that across India, because it's a great opportunity. In India at the moment, the government's announced a new national education policy. It's a great opportunity to seize that time and be at the forefront of what we can deliver to help India uh, be one of the top countries in the world in terms of education. It's interesting, isn't it, Brian? Because I mean, with the work that I, I do internationally, you always hear about China, you know, b- being the, the, the big growth area, bilingual schools, for example. And we've spoken about that on previous shows on this, this podcast. India, in, in some ways, is still kind of that sleeping giant and still waiting to maybe boom from an international perspective. So what do you think, it, you know, is on the horizon in terms of, of an ed- education, maybe change or development in India? Well, this is why I think the national education policy is key because it's looking for a change in attitude and a change in culture. As happens in large parts of Asia, the predicated idea is that you're going to be using the traditional methods of rote learning, and international schools don't do that. So the reason people Mm. choose international schools in so many countries is because they're offering something different from the local education system. So here you've got a government that's trying to say, We recognize that. We're going to have to move in that direction. Uh, Having said that, India itself has got to open up more to the possibilities of people coming from outside, coming in to establish these types of schools and those offerings. That's been, I think, the major reason why it's not happened. The international schools that exist in India are predominantly Indian. In other words, it's Indian families choosing that type of education because they offer... Cambridge curriculum or IB curriculum. Yeah. They're not offering the CBSE, the Indian curriculum per se. They might offer that as well, but they're offering something different. And the way that teaching is done and the kind of opportunities that are there, particularly from a parent's point of view, the chance to get international success. Because if they want their child to go to university in another part of the world, that's why they want to go to a school that's branded international. Yes, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, about how people perceive, perceive international schools and the education that, they, that they, they're getting. I'm really curious, Brian, actually, is, you know, you mentioned before about this idea of um, career professional development being key for teachers. So for someone like yourself moving into, say, a new uh, environment with India, how do you fuel your own development? Well, my own development, well, first of all, my view has always been you never stop learning. So I'm looking all the time for opportunities to learn, uh, not just 
uh, in the leadership sense uh, or in the business sense, uh, but also uh, in the culture that you're encountering and the ways of teaching. I don't take the view that my way is the only way or I have now through experience perfected this wonderful notion of exactly how it must be done. There's no such thing. There's no silver bullet. There's no one method. So you need to be open-minded. So in terms of my own development, uh, then, you know, I regard this, what we're doing just now, as CPD. Right. I think when I go to a conference and I meet other people and I meet other speakers, that's CPD for me. Uh, when I'm reading different authors, writers, different approaches, different research articles that I might not agree with, that's CPD for me. So I look for different opportunities to extend myself, challenge myself. Um, if I had the time, I quite possibly would look at an MBE at the moment because I'm much more business focused. But I don't like to do things that I'm not going to give a decent amount of time to to get it done properly. So I do tend to learn a lot on the hoof in those situations. But I also do a lot of background reading. I read everything I can lay my hands on that's relevant for my particular role or job. Um, and I use that to prompt ideas. So that's what I do personally. But actually, a big part of what I do is coaching and mentoring other people. I've always done that from the moment I've become a senior leader. I've made myself available. Whenever I heard of someone moving into school nearby or in a nearby authority, or when I was president of the Head Teacher Association, was to say, right, Nicholas, you're new to the job. I'm at the end of the phone. If you want to bounce ideas, talk to somebody, here I am. And I think what people forget when they're coaching and mentoring is that you are also learning at the same time. Because every time you're having to adjust what you say, what you do, and interpret the situation differently because of the person you're talking to, who is in a different context from you, dealing with a different situation from you, and where there are similarities, there are still sufficient differences that you need to amend at what you're suggesting as an approach because it's not going to be exactly the same as what you've witnessed. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Brian. I mean, you know, just to sort of follow on from what you said, the, the amount of things I learn from coaching school leaders internationally is unbelievable. And it really is a partnership. And it, it's, it, it's so fruitful for, for the professional development for, for myself. And that informs, you know, things in other parts of my career and, and, and so forth. So totally agree with you with that. I suppose it's always how you can get people in busy times, especially when people are now virtual and, and, and get connected. I mean, it's been really heartening, actually. The first series I did of this was leadership in uncertain times. And again, just mirroring what you were saying, Brian, about people actually having to talk more now and collaborate and find out, well, what's a school down the road doing? What's a school over there doing? How are they coping? And let's talk more. But it's always it always comes back to me, you know, when you're talking to schools and leadership teams, it's time, isn't it? Mm. you know that that resource is time and if you're on a screen all day are you going to have another hour on the screen at the end of the day to, to speak to someone to you know in a mentoring capacity so in terms of of you know the schools that you're running how are you going to be looking at allowing um, senior teams or senior leadership time in order to reflect and grow themselves well, by exactly what I've, I've been saying, you know, I set up, I have one-to-one -one meetings with all of the management team, leadership teams across the five schools and the regional office team. And each of those one-to-one -one conversations, I regard 
effectively as coaching conversations. Now, as it happens, I've just signed off on a package with a leading Indian business school to deliver uh, functional and executive leadership training for some of our staff who are new to those roles. Right. Um, and this is to give them confidence in about the management of finance, HR, uh, all of those functions that they haven't been used to because predominantly the system has been the principal focuses on the academics and doesn't have to look at the rest. But our system in Nord Angle Education is the expectation that the principal oversees all of it, understands all of it because everything impacts on everything else. So you need to understand how these pieces of a jigsaw come together uh, to make a whole picture that actually works. So that's one aspect of it. But I think in addition to that, when you're looking at uh, the way that people develop, you need, first of all, to know who you've got. It's often been a criticism I've made early in my career of people I've worked with, that whether it be an individual head teacher or principal, or whether it be a local authority or a company, do you actually know who you've got working for you? One of my previous roles when I was head of a, a British international school in Mexico City, um, I started off by interviewing all 285 staff individually. It took me three wow. weeks. It was a real killer, <laughs> but the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Because it gave me an insight, and I discovered people who were way over-promoted, and I also discovered people who are way under-promoted, who has so much to offer, and nobody had ever asked them. And, you know, that's the point I'm making about this, that in terms of someone's development, it's that possibility, that potential that's there that you can harness, that you can grow, and you can see them blossom with it. It makes a huge difference. And you mentioned that about Mexico City. I mean, you've had quite you know, a glittering career here, Brian. So I'm, I'm curious to understand who, who has had the most influence or a couple of people potentially have had the most influence in your career to date? Well, on a personal level, it's, I've always got to say, first and foremost, family. You know, as a small child, it was my mum, you know, who had the focus on education. Uh, you know, any, any mother who decides a three-year-old son has to memorise all the capital cities of the world is obviously, <laughs> is obviously a driver for education. Can you right? still do that, Brian, can you? Yes, I can, yes. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah, still. The problem I've got is, unfortunately, they've changed the names of a lot of these countries because of my age. <laughs> yeah. So it's difficult making that connection, but I can still dig out quite a lot of obscure ones. So in, in, terms, of, in terms of who's influenced me most, as an adult, it's been my wife who's been a great partner and encourager about, oh, why don't you go for this? But the other thing I often say to people when I've trained aspiring heads or teachers in the past myself, it's about remember also to make the most of the negative. So, for example, at the end of primary school, I came first in a national exam. It was a big achievement. Um, but when uh, the award had to be given to me by the school's headmistress, she described me as being the tortoise and the tortoise and the hare story. Who would have thought somebody like Brian would have managed to do this? Right. Isn't it nice to see a boy from the wrong side of the tracks do well? Just coming from a poor uh, working class background as I did, that was the expectation. So that drove me on because I thought, no, I'm going to show you this is not a flash in the pan. I can actually do this more than once. So that was one driver. And then in my teaching career, my big ambition was to be head of the English department. 
I'm a secondary trained English teacher. I love teaching English. So all I wanted to be was head of English. So when I got to that job, I thought, this is great. However, I worked at one point for somebody that was extremely divisive, and I just couldn't stand the atmosphere, and I had to get out. So I applied for 40 jobs at senior level without an interview, not realising that he was giving me a blocking reference, because back then you couldn't okay, see yeah. the reference. Yeah. Um, and only when he left, new head came, who gave me a different reference, and I automatically got jobs, interviews, and I took the first one. So I should be grateful to him because it moved me on. And if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone into senior leadership and I wouldn't be sitting here today. Right. So what you're saying then, but you know, these setbacks, as you've mentioned there, have really fueled your development and and have worked out as a great learning experience for you. Yes. And obviously you have to have the drive in the first place. There has to be something pushing you. I think it's a lot to do with your inner values, what's important to you, what do you want to see happen? How are you going to get it to happen? What sort of actions do you have to take? What do you have to do yourself to position yourself in order to do that? Uh, there's a big stress on yourself, if you like, to actually enable yourself to be ready for that. And you need to be resilient. You need to be agile. You have to be adaptable. I mean, these are the kind of 21st century skills that I'm yeah. always talking about because I think that adaptability and that capacity to change is absolutely critical. And just in terms of maybe a, a piece of advice that you'd give yourself if you take yourself back to the start of your career, because you mentioned that you know, being a secondary English teacher, what would that advice be, Brian? Well, if I just put the context that although I came from this poor working class background, you didn't really realise it because everyone in your neighbourhood was the same. Although I came from that background, when I went to train as a teacher, I did my training in three of the most difficult and violent schools in Glasgow at the time. Right. So I just about survived day one when the janitor had to escort me into the building with two Alsatian dogs to stop the gangs attacking me as fresh meat. Wow. And I made it into the building thinking, how am I going to cope? And I went home that night as a young 22-year-old teacher crying my eyes out to my mother. I've made a mistake. I can't do this. I can't cope. Yeah. And I think the advice I would give myself, naturally as an English teacher, I have to quote from Shakespeare, and it's got to be Laertes' advice that he was given by his father, Polonius, to say, do thine own self be true? So fundamentally, I think whether it's in teaching or anything else, it's about be true to yourself. What is it you want to achieve? I mean, I got to the point, even in that very difficult first school, that I realized if I could establish a rapport with some of these children, I could really make a difference and I could see the growth that you were able to achieve. So that's the most satisfying part about teaching and about education, is to see how far somebody can come and that you've had a part in playing, uh, playing a part in that to get them to that end. And I think it's that business of knowing what it is you want to do, what's important to you, what your values are, and sticking to them because that's what keeps you going and helps you get through the dark times, the difficult moments, the challenges, the stress, and everything else because that's the great motivator. 
That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Brian. And thank you so much for joining me, me today. Now, you're, you're currently in Hong Kong, um, looking to get to potentially to India at some point soon. So I take it you've been doing a lot of work, virtual work with your teams? Indeed. There's nothing else for it. We're all virtual at the moment. In fact, I'm not really here at all. This is a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> because because uh, it feels that way that you are cloning yourself for a variety of different things. Because the schools are in India. It's two and a half hours difference, time difference from here. Um, I haven't quite worked out why it's an extra half hour, but it's two and a half hours time difference from here. Uh, and then head office in London. So that's a further four and a half or five and a half hours time difference, depending what part of the year it is. So your working day is, is very different as to when you would start and when your last meeting takes place. Because as London opens, afternoon is uh, here. You're just finishing up in an hour or two with India when London really swings in, yeah. literally. <laughs> Keeps on your toes, Brian, eh? Indeed. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I know you're a very, very busy man, so much appreciated. And uh, I wish you all the best going forward into your new in endeavour in India. Thank you very much, Nicholas. All the best to you and to everyone listening. That's great. Thank you. If you're interested in working with Pursue through our coaching and leadership development packages, or would simply like to connect to discuss any of the topics in the show, please send me an email at hello at pursue.com or visit our website, pursue.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Nicholas Mackay or Pursue. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and spread the word. We are proud to be developing a truly global audience. Take care and look forward to speaking to you again soon.